Welcome to the hookup. Week number two, the right hookup. Now, maybe you could hook up with anybody, but should you hook up with anybody? Today, we're going to talk about how to begin that process of understanding the right hookup. Identity is so important in this. We talked about identity last week, specifically the identity of man or Adam. This week, we're going to talk about the identity of Eve or woman. It is so important. I used this quote last week. I want to use it again because it's incredibly important and because the Bible is basically a book about identity. God is wanting us to understand who we are. Soren Kierkegaard, the most common form of despair is not being who you are. Now, there's some things in the story here that are often overlooked. Now, there's a lot of pain, hurt, frustration, all kinds of stuff that goes on with understanding exactly who the woman is, who Eve is. However, there are some things that are just simply overlooked. We just overlook them. You don't have to be a scholar. We just overlook them. And I've noticed in my own life, I have a tendency to overlook the obvious. I'll say to Krista many times, just walking around the house and say, Krista, is this new? She's like, We've had that for five years. Is this new? Is this new? Okay, so that's me. I have a tendency to overlook the obvious. Now I want to take all of you to a very beautiful place, a place that I have overlooked for a lot of years. So come and join me there. Okay, everybody. So here's why I wanted to bring you all here, because this place is magnificent. This is Great Falls Park, and the natural beauty here is just off the charts. It's great. Also, in the Garden of Eden, there's a river. And here's the last reason why. Can you believe it? I overlooked Great Falls. I lived in this city my whole life and I overlooked this place. It is so inspiring. Actually, it's just great to be able to speak from here because it's just so much inspiration for me because the beauty is so magnificent. So I overlooked it. So here's why I want to start. What is it that maybe we overlooked that is just so obvious? Now, I want to pause for a second. I want to talk about the women's rights movement. Probably the names Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton are really familiar. Uh, 1800s, mid to late 1800s, they, they lead the women's right movement. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, she gets frustrated with the slow political process, but she noticed something, everybody. She noticed this. When she kept trying to move the needle forward politically, that people kept saying, yeah, but the Bible says, yeah, but the Bible says, And so late in her life, she realizes she's got to shift a little bit. She's got to move away from focusing on politics. She's got to deal with the Bible. So she rewrites the Bible. And this is what she says. We have made a fetish of the Bible long enough. The time has come to read it as we do all other books, accepting the good and rejecting the evil it teaches. Oh, my goodness. A lot of us hear that. We're like, that's blasphemy. (laughs) Understandable, right? Others of us hear that and we say, you know what? Okay, that makes sense because I see a lot of good in the Bible, but I see some things that I think are clearly wrong. And so we just need to treat it as we treat all other books. Now, I want to tell you a little bit of background of Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and maybe it'll be helpful. So her parents had quite a few kids, and sadly, a number of her siblings passed away. Now, when one of her brothers dies, she's at the funeral Her father is there sitting in a chair. The brother's lying in the casket and the father is just weeping. And so young Elizabeth crawls up into her father's lap to comfort him. 
and he's holding her and he's crying and he says these words. Oh, my daughter, how I wish you were a boy. Those words cut her to the heart. She sought much of her life just to get her father's approval, just so that her father would say, you are a fully worthy human being just as you are as a woman. But he wouldn't do that. He held it back. So later in her life, she speaks to the New York State Assembly, just like her brother would have. And instead of her father being happy about it, he's disgusted by it. She runs for Congress. And instead of the father being happy about it, he's angry about it. Why? Why would he be that way? Because he was a deeply religious man. And his opinion, in his biblical opinion, man is created first in his primary Woman is secondary, and she's created just to serve men. Now, you can see why she rewrites the Bible, because the Bible's standing in the way, and the one person that she wanted to receive approval from, he withholds it because of the Bible. That's a lot of pain. Sadly to say, her father didn't recognize what was obviously true, what the Bible was saying. You don't have to be a scholar to recognize the things I'm about ready to show you right here. You don't have to be a scholar. They're just obvious. They just stand out to us. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, about the creation of man and woman. Well, what you see there in Genesis chapter 1 is that the animals, there's no distinction. They're created according to their kind. Yet, humanity is created male and female. Also, the image of God is in humanity. Clearly, what you see in Genesis 1 is there is an ascending order of creation. It's moving to the top. Humanity created 100% equality, male and female. It takes male and female to reflect God. Can't just have male, can't just have female. It takes male and female. Those are things that are obviously true. Next, Genesis chapter 2. This is what we read about the creation of man. This is generic man. Ish. Man in Hebrew is ish. I-S-H. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the earth, of dust of the ground, sorry, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. There you go. There's the creation of the man. Now here's the creation of the woman. What do you notice? The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 19, now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. We'll come back to the word helper in a moment. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. In Hebrew, better interpretation, his side. Wasn't just a rib. Like It's almost like, actually, literally, God is cutting the man in half. But that's a, a total another sermon. Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, cut him in half, took his side, then closed up the place with flesh. Verse 22, really important. Then the Lord God made, we will come back to that word in a moment, a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, Isha, woman, generic. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now, what is obviously true here? You don't have to be a scholar to see it. 
fairly lopsided, right? One verse, a lot of verses. It is obvious from reading of the text within ascending order of creation, she's made last, she's the crown of creation. That's just obviously true. It's obviously true with all the verses to the woman and just one single verse to the man that God takes more time, care, attention, energy, and effort into the creating of the woman. This is just what's obviously true as you read it. I want to read a fantastic Hebrew scholar and writer of a commentary on the book of Genesis, Nahum Sarna. Quote, Curiously, the extent literature of the ancient Near East has preserved no other account of the creation of primordial woman. The present narrative is therefore unique. I have to stop right there. Okay, I've got to stop right there. You understand what Sarna is saying? Maybe there's other accounts of the creation of a woman. Maybe there are. We just don't have any. We just don't have any. We might say, you know what? I don't like what the Bible says about women. I don't like what it says and what it does, you know, as far as concerning women. However, there is no other account that we have before us from the ancient Near East about the creation of woman. The Bible uniquely says that a woman is incredibly unique and God takes time, energy, and effort and energy that he doesn't put toward the creation of man towards the woman. And why of all the stories out of the ancient Near East, of the millions of stories, do we have this one story survive? I need to continue. Moreover, whereas the creation of man is told briefly in a single verse, the creation of woman is described in six verses. This detail is extraordinary in light of the generally non-descriptive character of the biblical narrative, and as such is indicative of the importance accorded to this event. With the appearance of woman, creation is complete. Okay, that is what is totally obvious. You don't have to be a Hebrew scholar. You just have to be able to read and count, basically. Now I want to talk about what you do need to be a scholar, what would help you to actually read other scholars in Hebrew to see. So let's do that. So here we go. We're going to get a little scholarly. I want to go to verse 22. The the word I said a few moments ago about God made woman. Let's dig into that. The word literally is built. God built a woman. And it is connected to the word discern. And here's what Nahum Sarna says about that word in Hebrew. It means that God, when he created or built woman, that he gave her an intelligence that surpassed man. Like this word to build when he built her with the connection to discernment, it is not used in the creation of Adam. It is only used in the creation of Eve. And therefore, Eve has, women have, this woman has, all women have an intelligence that surpasses man. Now, was that true? Do women, are their IQ levels higher than men? That's not true. You can Google it. You can Google it right now if you want to. And what you'll find is, is the IQ levels between male and female are pretty much identical. The level is just the same. So is the Bible incorrect? Is there something incorrect here? Because it specifically says, according to this word, she has a higher intelligence than man. IQ levels are the same, but EQ levels are undeniably greater in females. Now, John Gottman's book. You can Google that too. You can Google it too. But John Gottman, it's the book that's listed at the bottom of your notes there. 
All of John Gottman's work is great. Gottman is more like a scientist when it comes to relationships. He has a relationship laboratory, so he approaches very scientifically. And what he has found out and what so many others have found out around the world is that a woman's EQ level is significantly and undeniably higher than males. So the Bible is totally true. Women have a higher EQ than men. And what is relationships built on? EQ. IQ is so important, but we are really interested in EQ because what is it going to take for, for this world to function in a healthy way? It's going to take EQ. The EQ level is going to have to be higher and women's EQ is much higher. Now, I want to talk about something that might seem like a bunny trail, but I don't think it is. So please hang with me. I have related this story before. When I was in seminary, I'd always grown up, God is a he, God is a he, God is a he. And I said in seminary class, one day at the beginning of my seminary, I referred to God as a he, and a woman in the classroom just screamed out like she was in pain. It was terrible. Look, why is God in Scripture undeniably in a masculine form? Now, some of us read that, we say that's completely wrong. But if you'll just bear with me for just a moment... What John Gottman has discovered in his research is, is that males do not take influence from females. This is worldwide. This is in every culture. This is right into our biology. For some reason, males, as young as the age of one and a half years old, you can read about it in his chapter on influence in the book that I listed are only influenced by other males. They do not receive influence by females. Now, females will receive influence equally by both male and female. Why is God called a he? Let's see what uh, President Barack Obama said as it pertains to the influence of males. This is what President Obama says. Children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. There is just something about it that males, we are more influenced by other males. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just telling you what the facts are. Now, Denzel Washington was asked about this same thing because his best friends growing up, they all ended up in prison. And the interviewer asked Denzel, why didn't you end up in prison? I mean, what is it about what's going on in our world? What is it going, going on in the system of our world that you didn't end up in prison like your friends? And you know what he turned it back to? He says, they didn't have a father. There wasn't a father in the home. He said, my dad was in the home. Undeniably, and he keeps coming back to this in his interview, it all starts at home, it all starts at home because the influence of a father. And so without the influence of a father, because males, for whatever reason, are influenced by other men, it has a major impact on us. Now, what is God's primary concern, everybody? So just keep that in the back of your mind. Then what is God's primary concern? Well, God says, in creation, it's good, it's good, it's good. So God's primary concern is with a good earth, that things operate and function with peace, with order, without chaos, that it would not be a violent world. I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. This is what it says. The Lord will teach us his law from Jerusalem, and we will obey him. 
He will settle arguments between nations. They will pound their swords and their spears into rakes and shovels. They will never make war or attack one another. People of Israel, let's live by the light of the Lord. Now, there's a lot of firsts in the Bible. Bible is the first place that we're told there's total equality amongst all people. All people, men, women, doesn't matter where you're born, all people have the image of God. It's the first place that you read about it. It's the first place you read about the creation of woman. It's the only place you read about the creation of woman. And the Bible is the very first place that you read about universal peace. Nobody, nobody was writing about that. This almost seemed insane when Isaiah wrote this over 2,000 years ago, that there could be an idea that peace could come to the entire planet. Everybody has thought about your power. You've got to overpower other people. And yet the Bible, the first place, the only place, it talks about peace. Now hang with me because I know you're wondering, where, why are you going down this road? Ah, uh, it's very important. It's really important particularly as it pertains to women. So it's the first place. Now, men and women in Scripture are seen as God's co-creators, image bearers, to reflect God, to continue the act of creation, of reflecting His light, His goodness, His peace, His image into the world, the equality of all people. We are supposed to do that. As I said last week, Harvard did this long study and they concluded after 80 years and $25 million, happiness is love. End of story. Full stop. Love is built on relationships. And women undeniably are smarter when it comes to relationships. Their EQ is higher and that evidence by science is undeniable. Now, women, everybody in the Bible are far more responsible the Bible is all about responsibility, far more faithful. The Bible is all about being faithful and far less violent. That is what the Bible shows us and that's what history shows us. The woman has all the ingredients because of her EQ, because she's more faithful, more responsible and less violent to building a good earth that God desires. Heavily leveled in her direction. It's clear. She has all the necessary ingredients that is there. Some people read the Bible and they say, hey, I feel like women are being put down in the Bible. Some people twist the Bible. They do all kinds of stuff with it. So why would a woman ever want to read the Bible? A careful reading of the Bible, a contextual reading of the Bible, a scholarly reading of the Bible would lead you to the conclusion, why would a man want to read the Bible? Because the ascending order of creation is about a woman. The lopsided verses about a woman all in her favor. She is the completion of all of creation. She is everything that God desires to create a good earth, a peaceful earth. And a man is viewed in scripture as being far more violent, far less responsible, far less faithful. It is the men who do the majority part of the lying, cheating, stealing, and killing in the Bible. She has a higher EQ than a man. That's the simple truth of what the scripture is teaching us about the woman. She is the completion, the crowning jewel of creation. Now let's go back to the word helper. God says, I'm going to create a helper. We say, well, our, when we read that in English, without a proper understanding of the Hebrew, the word is azar, E-Z-E-R. Like, well, what? that seems demeaning. Except that it can't be in Hebrew. It cannot be demeaning. You can either be equal to man or you can be greater to a man 
as a woman. Equal to or greater. Take your pick, one or the other. Equal or greater. Because that's the only thing that word in Hebrew can possibly mean. Matter of fact, every other time it seems that the word is used, it is related to God. So a woman, you can either be a woman or you can be God. Is it? Equal to or greater than. So there's no demeaning in that whatsoever. And this story, everybody, was written in a male-dominated patriarchy. Of all the millions of stories coming out of the Middle East, why in the world in a male-dominated patriarchy is this the one that came out? There's very few stories that survived all of these years, of all the millions of stories written. And yet this is the one that has come out. Now, there's a lot of voices in the world. A lot of voices saying a lot of different things. Kind of like that Lauren Daigle song, right? I got all these voices in my head. And we're hearing all these voices. You hear voices. Your parents have said things to you. Your family members, your friends. Social media says a lot about what a woman is. Advertising says a lot about a woman is. I just love what that GM executive said. That advertising is organized dissatisfaction. There's an organized dissatisfaction in advertising that says you should not feel good about you. You are less than. You are not enough. But that's not what the scripture says about you. That's not the story that the scripture is telling about you. In some cases, everybody, that's not the story that preachers and teachers and church folk are telling about you. You should agree what everybody says about you as long as it's a total agreement with God's view of you of who a woman is as told to us in the first three chapters of the Bible. That is the most important thing. Now, sometimes people twist Scripture. But you know what Shakespeare says about Scripture? The devil cites Scripture for his purposes. The devil cites Scripture for his purposes. Jesus and his throwdown with the devil in the desert the devil quoted scripture to Jesus too. And what did Jesus do? He rejected all of those words from the devil as the devil twisted scripture to hang on to the truth of God as he gave the devil the truth of scripture right back at him. And now I want to move to my final point. And what I want to say now is really important. Last week I said to men, what the scripture is saying in the opening chapters of Genesis, it's time to rule. It's time to rule over just nature. For women... It's time to trust the truth. There are so many voices out there saying lots of things that are totally incorrect. But what God says about you, and what, here, I want God to be most important. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, her father caused her a lot of pain, but because he was so important in her life, she struggled with that pain most of her life because she sought his approval, because he was so important. I want God to be more important to you than anyone else because God tells your story of creation. Because God says you are beautiful and magnificent and you are the crowning moment, the crowning jewel of all creation. It is so easy to see that as you read through the scripture and it's time to trust the truth, the truth of what God is saying about you. This is who you are. You can ignore the Bible, you can dismiss the Bible, you can rewrite the Bible, or you can seek to understand the truth of what the Bible is saying about you, about all women. Now, here's what the psalmist does. In the Psalms, the writer of the Psalms often talk about preaching to yourself. Psalm 42 is famous for this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. We need more women preachers. What does that mean? 
We have to preach the truth to ourselves, the truth of what God says about us, not the voices in our head, not what our parents say, unless they're totally in, in sync with God, not what anybody else says. What does God say? Only believe the voices that are in sync with God. We need more women preachers. I was thinking about this because I hear Krista talk about it all the time. She leads the women's ministry at Grace. They're doing a study right now all about the importance of preaching truth, the truth of God's word to ourselves. If you're interested, we We've got like a hundred women going through this incredible study, study right now. Krista's email is uh, on the screen. Krista.slidetrygrace.org. It's awesome, but you got to preach the truth to yourself. It's very, very important. I'm going to close out by saying this. Adam does not become a complete man until the creation of Eve. We need Eve. We need women to understand the truth about who you are because it impacts man. And I know I'm not trying to put a burden on you, but it's clear from this story. The world's not complete and man's not complete until Eve shows up, until she arrives. Now, I want to say something that's generally true. And I want to emphasize the word generally true. I want to say something that's generally true. Like Proverbs in the Bible are general truths. Seatbelt saves lives. That's a general truth. They don't always save lives, but generally they do save lives. Playing the lottery is for losers. Now, that's not always true. Some people play it, very few, and win, but most generally lose. Now, I want to say something that's generally true. Most men need to get married. Most, not all. Some shouldn't. Some would be a total train wreck if they got married. But most need to marry. Why? Why, John? Because the scripture says that Adam does not become the complete man until he marries. Marriage matures men. You can do your own study on this. Just go and ask a man who's been married, even a man who's been divorced, even a man who was miserable being married. Just ask him this question. Did marriage mature you? The overwhelming answer back is yes. Marriage mature, matures us. It has an impact on us. Eve impacts our lives just in huge ways. Maybe it's that stronger EQ level. I don't know. But it's a massive positive impact upon us. Oh, I understand that a lot wrong has been said and people have been hurt. People have misunderstood the scriptures. They misunderstood preachers or preachers have just messed things up royally. We're going to have an open Zoom. We invite everybody to come with us. Dr. Kelly Sanders from Grace is going to join me. She has done a great job of framing some of the questions. Is God misogynistic? Tomorrow night at 8 p.m., please join us. The information is there on the screen or it's on our events page. Please, it's open to everybody. Is God misogynistic? Is the Bible misogynistic? We're going to get into that. Now, I want to end with this. The first three chapters of the Bible are extremely important. There is a journey, a very important journey taking place. And this is what I really need you to hear in conclusion. The journey of chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis are so important. As it begins, God is Elohim or Elohim. What does that mean? It's, it's just general. It's an impersonal God. It's just a God of force. Adam. Adam is just a generic or general man. He's Ish in Hebrew, I-S-H. And woman is Isha. She's just a woman, impersonal, generic. 
But something happens in the journey from chapter one to chapter two to chapter three. Things begin to change. When Adam, the man, finally recognizes the woman as Eve, and and now she is a personal name, at that point, once she becomes a specific person, when he finally sees her as a person, only then does Adam become a man or a person to himself. I can't understand that I am a person in the eyes of God until I see Eve as a person in the eyes of God. Now, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs does a far better job than I do of explaining this. So I want to read you this quote. I think it's really important. In the first chapter, which speaks about the birth of the universe and the slow emergence of order from chaos, man is part of nature. That is the partial truth and the discovery that we share much of our DNA with other life forms. This is why God is described here as Elohim, the author of nature. In chapters 2 and 3, man begins to use language. He becomes, in the words of the Targum, a speaking being, Genesis 2-7. God brings the various forms of life to him to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living thing, that was its name, Genesis 2-19. But thus far, here it is, it's really important, thus far he only uses nouns, first for the animals and then for his wife, whom he calls Isha, woman. He has moved from nature to culture, of which language is the first step, but he has not yet understood the concept of a person. It is only after that he gives his wife a proper name that the Torah uses the name Hashem on its own. That's the name for God. It is only after he has become aware of his wife as a person that man is capable of understanding God as a person. You know what the right hookup is? The right hookup is not a generic hookup. It is a specific hookup. It's not when you're just getting together with a woman or getting together with a man. It's when you're getting together with somebody who understands their identity in the eyes of God. And you're not just getting together with a woman. You're getting together with a specific, but it's not generic. It's specific with a specific woman. Listen, we have all these seashells here. On this beach, as I'm looking at right now, there are millions of seashells. What we're interested in is a specific one. I could say all day, I love women. That's not true love. True love is not generic. True love in the Bible is specific. The greatest book in the Bible about romantic love, Song of Solomon. They're very specific. It is his eyes and her hair. It is his arms and her legs. It's specific. It's to love not women. It's to love that woman. That's love and that's the right hookup and that's what we're going for. I don't love all women. I love one woman, that woman. And that's where Adam gets to. And when he sees the woman as Eve, as a person, he becomes a person and now he is allowed to enter into a personal relationship with a personal God. Let's pray. God, help us to trust the truth, the truth of your word that you make so obvious to us. Get us out of the despair of not knowing who we are. Instead, help us to understand who we are in you, our true identity. In Christ's name, amen.